Welcome to Nordnet Tech, episode three, the podcast where we interview entrepreneurs and founders from the Nordics and discuss the Nordic startup scene and fintech. We are your hosts, Marcus Kastenfors, head of product design, and Tuva Palm, Tuva Palm, chief product officer and chief technology officer here at Nordnet Bank. And what is Nordnet for those who don't know? Nordnet, it's the first. <laughs> we are the first disruptor in the financial industry. The first. Yes. We are 20 years old, but we were the first fintech company of Stockholm. Mm. So I would say that we actually started the fintech trend in Stockholm. Humble? Humble? <laughs> I'm not humble. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling the truth. Okay, great. So we're on a mission to inspire you. We want to bring you the stories that can push you to do more and to think differently. And this... and. And in this third episode, we interview no other than Natalia Brzezinski, described as one of the strongest links between the US and the Nordics. So she's the CEO of something called Symposium, an invite-only TED-like conference for the tech scene. And she's running this um, conference with Daniel Ek from Spotify and Ash Pornuri, Avicii's manager. Yeah, and this is... I know Natalia since a few years back, uh, and I was visiting uh, Symposium, and I really must say that this is this was the most mind-blowing event I've ever been to. It it's uh, it, it I'm, I was so impressed by the work she had done, and and the mix of art, technology, music, innovation. It just it created all these dynamic discussions. It was just. Uh, it was such an experience, uh, and uh, I, I I didn't go on symposium the year before that, but uh, from all the people that I, that I heard been there, uh, everyone talks about the Natalia effect. The you Natalia know, was, effect. Yeah, yeah. And we will definitely <laughs> get to know Natalia in this episode and yeah. really feel the Natalia effect. Yeah, she's such an incredible person. Yeah, and, and both me and Marcus are such true true fans yes. of Natalia. She's such an awesome person. Well, what do you remember the most from the interview? One thing, th w at one moment I thought, oh my God, I don't want this interview to end. I just want to, to sit here and listen to all the stories she has to tell. Yeah, She's so smart, humble, eloquent, yeah. interesting. I yeah, mean, yeah. You will really enjoy this episode. Yeah. And it's jam-packed with stories and insights about her relationship with the Nordic tech scene. And we touch upon topics such as, will there be life after death? Yeah, that's a that's <laughs> one question. That's a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also the secret sauce, if you want to uh, talk, or if you want to uh, talk about it like that, why Nordic founders tend to be so successful and yeah. much, much more. So enjoy. And as always, we love you guys. We love you. And thanks for listening. And also we love Na Nayara, who is our producer. Yes. And we just want to say that. Nayara, you're thank the best. You. Thank you yes. for everything that you're doing for yeah. this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So let's get rolling. Yes. Great. Hello, Natalia. Hey, Tuva. So nice to see you here again. And uh, uh, before we start, can you please, I, I know you and I think most of our listeners know who you are, but can oh you no. just, in, <laughs> yeah, yes. <I> think so. <laughs> but can you just in a few sentences just uh, tell us who you are? This is the $1 million question. Yeah, I know. Because I, I think know it's I, I, I am one of these people that has taken on far too many identities. But um, what I, you know, I, I'm Natalia and I'm the CEO of Symposium Stockholm. Mm -hmm. I think that is really my driving passion and where mm -hmm. I spend a lot of my time doing. But I'm a storyteller. I love mm -hmm. telling other people's stories. I love helping people tell their stories better. I think that's why I'm so involved here in Stockholm because, you know, 
it's such a fantastic progressive place, but I always tell my Swedish friends no one knows about it because Swedes don't stand out with their stories. No. So I think I found so much passion here, you know, as a young mother, as an entrepreneur, trying to share the great things I've seen here with the world. So if anything, amongst the many jobs I have, and I am an advisor to CRAB, and I'm an advisor to some Washington, D.C. initiatives around women in politics, but it's really the work I do with Symposium, with Brilliant Minds, with Spotify, that I'm most closely identified with in my heart. So cool. <laughs> and when did you get there to Stockholm? Oh, when my did God. You I moved here in November, so close to oh. this time of 2011. Oh. Horrible. And I was and you blown didn't... <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> I remember, like, I have these, when I'm here now, and, and during this time of year, and it's it's almost November, it's the end of October, I can almost feel this nostalgia of, like, mm. what I felt like sitting in my dark room, and we had this huge house, and, like, mm. I had a just-turned-two-year-old daughter who was never sleeping. So I felt like a vampire. It was yeah. dark di- all day. It was dark at night. I was jet-lagged. Oh. And I can kind of feel that, although I love it so much. But <laughs> after a few years, I started to translate it into, like, in a way, if you embrace it, yeah. it makes you slow down. And, like, yeah. now, you know, I can't wait tonight to go and be with my girlfriends. And, like, mm. it makes you be cozy. Where in America, mm. we're always going That's so true. fast all the time so it's like you're forced to slow down which I don't do often no, so I, I always imagine. say like living in Sweden brought out the balance of me I think awesome that's a good I, I've never heard yeah. anyone describe the November weather <laughs> that, <laughs> that such I, a beautiful word I'm an yeah, optimist yeah, 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 yeah. I have to be <laughs> so uh, browsing through the symposium website, I, I found this teaser video, which I quite liked. Mm. It begins with a short clip from an interview with David Bowie uh, from 2000, mm-hmm. where he states, I think the potential of what the Internet will do to society, both good and bad, as unimaginable. So now, 16 years later, the Internet has vastly changed from what it was back then. But the quote, I mean, it's very much relevant. But what intrigues you mm. with the internet and that quote? Absolutely. I mean, we chose that and, and the fact that it's still relevant because I think there's always so much focus on digitalization and internet in terms of the hardware, like the algorithms, the coding, like the iPhone, where's that going? But I, I mean, for me, it's always been about the values. You know, I'm not even a techie. Like, I'm not a coder. I'm not. But I see the larger values about the internet. What are they? accessibility, making Mm. things that used to be hard to reach, that used to be for rich people or for elites, accessible for all. It's kind of, you know, this democracy of ideas concept. It's, you know, there's a lot of talk about millennials and digitalization. And the Internet is about those values, transparency, having access to information, having freedom around that information, and being able to communicate freely across borders. And I mean, that makes that type of quote relevant. That makes, you know, what we're trying to do with Symposium, I think, very relevant because you probably see the red thread here. Those are very Swedish values, you know, this egalitarian focus, like that the social justice, that things shouldn't be just for a few. They should be for many. And so that's why I think it's so relevant and authentic what we're trying to do. And that gives me somewhat of a voice because, you know, it it is about the tech, but it's not. And I think... There's actually a lot of interesting, and we've talked about this too, Vo, when we had dinner a few weeks ago. um, There's a lot of talk about the next wave of digitalization Mm. is not going to be about digital tools at all. Mm. It's going to be about can the tech people and the government talk. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. How are we going to relate this to the future? And that's actually going to be our theme for next year's symposium. So it's going to be around awesome. this new human condition, new mm. humanity. Mm. And so I think like that's great because also us normal people can talk about it too. You don't have to be at Google or, you know, in fintech to really also understand like the values behind it. Fintech essentially is democratizing, you know, business, small yeah, business, what iZettle or Klarna are doing, making it easier for everybody to participate in e-commerce, mm. for example. So that's what like, again, drives me because it's not about a certain company. It's not about, you know, necessarily Spotify or another, but Spotify. Also, the vision is really democratizing music so people don't steal it, so people can understand it, so younger people can get it easily. I love that. I think that makes it really real. Definitely. Speaking of symposium, I mean, it was it was the most mind-blowing event I've ever been to. Oh, you're great. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> I was so... I hire you. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, I had so much things in my head after being yeah. there. And it was just totally amazing. And one of the things that were really, for me, groundbreaking and something that I've been thinking about ever since was uh, Eugenia Kaida. Yes, Eugenia, yes. Her her talk about how she had uh, done a chatbot Mm. based on a lost loved friend. Uh, And uh, she had fed this this, uh, chatbot with old emails and old chat conversations so she could continue Mm. chat with him, although he has passed away, and kind of, to some extent, um, have a presence of him being alive. Mm. And that was just, you know, I I get Everyone was crying. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was so emotional and and moving, but also a bit scary. And Mm. and, uh, uh, I've been thinking a lot about that and, and, you know, the border between mm. life and death, real life versus the, the virtual life. Or, or, Absolutely. Or, uh, and, and how were your thoughts there? What's, uh, what's, from your perspective, how far do you think we will go when it comes to, how will we change the way we see life, basically, with... Uh, Perfect question. And again, yes. that's... <laughs> you can write a book about I this. Know, I know, I <laughs> know, But that's exactly what we're, again, what we're going to be talking about. Because we yeah. touched a little bit about artificial intelligence yeah. and those experiences. But it is truly mind-blowing. I mean, I, I go to San Francisco a lot just to kind of capture research. I just saw Zhenya, actually. Yeah. And her story is amazing as well. I mean, like leaving Russia and being kind yeah. of a new emigre into the United States and... And she told me that, you know, I'm going to embarrass her now. Maybe she won't hear this. But she's she's like, I loved Brilliant Minds. Like, it was the first time she really pitched and she worked. So we worked with her. So a lot of it is it becomes very personal. Like, every speaker I got to know well. And, like, by the time they arrive in Stockholm, it's such a community family feeling already. And we were so supportive behind her. And I know all of her investors really well. But she had fallen in love in Sweden. She met someone at Brilliant Minds. So she is now in love with the Swedes. So I said, this is my mission. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's it's amazing. I mean, a lot of Google has these futurists, and I've been meeting with them and talking to them. And a lot of them say, you know, both on the work and the life side. So they predict that already right now the first 1,000-year-old person has already been born. Yeah. So in our kids' age, you know, my daughter's seven, like someone will probably in their generation, in their class at school, may live to be 1,000 and definitely to 200. Yeah. You know, that's probably maybe we will, you know, hopefully. (laughs) But also like the, and if you want to, and then it's the ethical side. So it's, it's what we're saying. um, What we're going to talk about a lot this year in, in Brilliant Minds is 
how will this affect the larger community? How will it affect the definitions yeah. of power, of life, of marriage, of relationships? Yeah. Because she obviously had a relationship with this. Yes. This reincarnated, yeah. if you want to use that word, yeah. person. And even more interesting when she talks about his parents, um, because she was able to program it so well that the parents of this dead young man would mm. talk to him and really feel like this is how he would have responded. Yeah. It was that authentic. <gasps> And I mean, how do you even classify that being? You know, so it's it's saying, you know, what I said earlier, like how will tech and kind of the way we classify government and laws and humanity yeah. evolve? It's a crazy time, you know. And, it's a crazy and the funny time. thing is some people don't believe it at all. Like when no. I speak to my father <laughs> or even my husband, they're like, What what are you talking about? You know, you're way out there. Yeah. But it's here. Yeah. Um, the White House actually did, you know, President Obama's been amazing, but they did a big report on artificial intelligence and how it's you know really going to impact us not in the next 30 years but really the next mm. 10 mm. um and i think it's uh, eric schmidt said this at, at brilliant minds um yes the robots are coming but they're not going to take over our worlds like i think it's actually going to be if you look at reports um they say that the most in need skills are now math but also human mm. skills mm. Mm. um more and more the workplace really needs people also that know mm. how to communicate and connect. Mm. And so I think those two trends will continue together. Yeah, definitely. We'll have more automation. We have been having it for, like, our lifetime yeah. already. Yeah. It's, it's you know, I mean, in America, you see that with the car factories and everything. Yeah. But I think there will also be a need for the people that interact with those robots, that mm. program those robots, that teach those robots emotions, because mm. mm. that's mm. the next phase. Like, mm. will the robots and the machines be able to kind of think beyond just directions, but like have intuition and heart and passion. So maybe we'll be marrying robots. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and that was, also one, that was also one of the talks I remember. I don't know how the number, but... Sex and... Inter that was hilarious. Yeah. Chloe McIntosh. I don't know if it was like 50% can... Of British people love could, to... Yeah. Could, could date a robot. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I don't know. As women, we know maybe then it might be a bit easier. You can give them direction. They'll do the dishes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. It's like, I, isn't that how it is? It's a dream. <laughs> but in an interview, in an earlier interview, um, you described a, a vivid memory from your uh, childhood about your mom. Mm. And uh, she was a precinct captain for the Democratic yeah. Party. And you remember walking around the south side of Chicago, going door to door and meeting people and, and talking about, just uh, I want to emphasize this, talking about things that would help people. Mm -hmm. And a lot has happened since then. Yes. <laughs> and now you're a CEO, and I think you have six titles on your LinkedIn <laughs> profile, <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, and, and, I am a, mental. A, yeah, yeah. And, a, and a quote from, uh, from a person says that you're one of the strongest links between the U.S. and the Nordics, Aww. which is uh, that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. It's humbling. Yeah. But, but I want to go back to that, that memory. So the, the question is, how does your life tie back to those days going door to door and, and helping people how how do you do that in in your role or in your different roles right? yeah. i mean i think that's actually my entire driving principle if i'm not doing that in some capacity i really feel like i'm failing mm. um and i think that that's a great story because i the narrative of struggle and of being an immigrant and of like the door-to-door -door concept is really a, a metaphor for for doing things with your own two hands and being very self-made in that way, that's very much who I am. Um, when I, I'm, I will never forget moving to Sweden and I got this strange, you know, this embassy role and like 
you know, my parents kind of, you know, they're 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 educated, but like this is not their world. I mean, this is a whole nother world. Like this type of elite, you know, it's like royalty. It's it is very different than than the way I was raised. I never thought. I was raised in a very dangerous kind of neighborhood where I was kind of in the minority as as a as a white girl and my daughter is kind of growing up in this castle with security and and mm. house staff. I mean it's mm. it's pretty unbelievable, but I think that um my mother always said, you know, if you if you can't be happy or if you have some kind of issue like I would have ask her to help me with my homework and she never had the time or she couldn't or they didn't speak good English said if you if you don't like the house you were given build your own Mm. I mean there's very much Mm. like in my family and I was an only child like probably a lot of pressure but like a big push that don't look for others do it yourself but make sure you're always giving back and I saw that like in the immigrant communities my parents and their friends were always helping each other and it was really tough like there were no nannies and babysitters and daycares like I was shuttled off to other people's houses or I went to work with my friend's moms when my mom was working so I think that was part of this whole because the south side of Chicago where she was a precinct captain was a very poor area mm. and when she would go door to door I very I, I mean I can even feel it now like sitting with you know it was often older people because mm. that's who you really wanted to get out to vote um and she would sit there for hours, mm. and I wanted to go home. It was like 10 p.m. Mm. I was four or five, but she would listen to their stories about their husbands being sick or dying mm. of cancer. A lot of them were widowed older people, or they didn't speak English, so she would speak to them in Polish or in Russian. And I really you know, saw that it was about people. And it's kind of sad to see um, the elections today mm. <laughs> because that connection is completely lost. But it was about people and about this narrative of struggle mm. and how that really binds and about compassion. My mom is totally nuts, I tell her something, but she is so um, she is so connected and compassionate to people. Mm. And I've seen her give money when she didn't have any and help people when she didn't have the help herself. And so, I mean, I think when I moved here, that's what she said to me, why I mentioned the whole embassy experience. She says, I don't care about, you know, the Nobel Prize and the staff and the parties. I just hope that if you can help one or two immigrant women like me, like think of mm. your mom when you're out mm. there, then I will be proud of you. And I was like, thanks, mom. <laughs> but mm. but I, I really tried to do that. And I, I think I try to do that um, today across platforms. That's the mm. great thing mm. of of social media. Um, and I never saw it until I, I had this role in the embassy. I actually like thought about taking off all my Facebook and Twitter because I was so paranoid. Mm. Like maybe I'll post something and it will be like wrong <laughs> or I'll get in trouble or I'll say something, you know, and I did do those things. Yeah. But I realized actually it was an amazing tool because especially Swedes, but generally mm. all people, they don't know how to approach someone in this kind of role. So they would send me messages. So I started mm. to get so many messages from like universities. Like they would say, I don't know how to invite you because I don't know how to go through the embassy or protocol, but can you come speak to my immigrant women's network? So oh. it was an an open door and where in a non-confrontational way, people felt safe to approach me mm. and that I could also connect with them. And like, I think I've continued to use those channels a lot. Whenever people write me on LinkedIn and I always try to respond. That's mm. something that I've always been taught by people that are my mentors, you know, whether it's someone like Ariana Huffington or my sister-in-law, like they always respond. Mm. They don't send it through an assistant. They don't. And if you can't do it, you say, no, I can't do it. But I think 
I try to do that a lot. I mean, that's the that's the whole genesis behind Symposium, I think. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to, and this is not just me. I mean, it's it's Ash and Daniel. They really saw that there's so much excitement here going on, but you know, there's not enough venture capital investment. There's not enough money kind of, and that's a European issue, and there's not enough awareness. Mm. Um, and that's why we're building this. You know, That's the whole long-term focus. We want to shine a light here, but we, all, we also want to be a platform for young entrepreneurs to be able to have their voices heard. And mm. I think that's back to Genia. That's back to why we have a lot of like startup pitches and we invite young people into this. And I think that will only continue to grow. And we're, we're constantly talking about ways to do that more through Symposium because it's such a great platform of bringing together these like very, very successful Americans, whether they're CEOs or venture capitalists, and this European innovation scene. Mm. It's a very long answer for you. So you can <laughs> see I'm, I'm so excited about everything. That's awesome. Just how it should be. Uh, so we have have talked several times about being role models for our, our daughters, yeah. and I think, of course, that's close to our hearts. Both being a career mom and uh, uh, or career woman and 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 mom. Uh, so, given your background and how you helped your mother and how you got in in, in mm. you know including in her work, how are you do, doing with with how are you paying that forward? Are you how much are you with my daughter yeah. or with yeah? Well, it's it's so hard as you know when the I, best yeah. thing to have is like you know we're friends and we have a group of friends in yeah. Stockholm that really support each other and I've seen like through time that's what my mom never had mm. um, she had her parents that helped raise me mm. but she didn't really have many friends I mm. guess there was no time for them that's what mm. she always told me like mm. I have no time for friends but for me that has been the thing that kind of keeps me from being eaten up by guilt mm. or you know missing certain moments in my child's life but my daughter and I It's funny how they see you because I think I always see myself as not good enough Mm. and they really see you. Mm. And I didn't really, there's been a few things that happened like a few months ago, my daughter's in first grade, she's seven. um, And I was traveling a lot at the time, but every time I'm home, I go to her lunch and Mm. I like spend a lot of time volunteering in the school. And like, I noticed like all the kids had heard about stories that Aurora had been telling them about me and the teacher came up to me once at, mm. at the playground and she says, you know, I hope you know, and it's also a young female teacher, mm. so I think she realized, she's like, I hope you know um, Aurora got this award as the hardest working kid in the class. Not mm. girl, but just the hardest mm. working. They get these most respectful. <laughs> and she told the whole class, well, why are you so hard working? And she says, my mom works really hard. That's good. And the teacher said she was the only one that responded that way. That's really good. That every other child said it's their dad goes to work every morning. And so I felt really proud of that. I mean, those are little things like that. But now she listens to my podcast. It's so funny. My previous one. (laughs) And like, she wants to see what I'm putting up on Instagram. And like, they think in a completely different way. But she knows I work with girls and women. Yeah, yeah. And um, she knows that I work with, like, try to help people with business. Like, that's mm-hmm. all as far mm-hmm. as she understands. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing to see how much they they really see you when you don't even see yourself. So that's, yeah. for me, been kind of yeah. extremely empowering and, like, gives me the, the passion to go on. So when, when you first heard about your husband's assignment uh, as the U.S. ambassador in Sweden, what did you imagine Sweden to be like? Well, you know, I lived in Denmark when I was, I I studied there during university. So Mm. I think it was actually really 
and I'll say this, I mean, unlike many Americans, even highly successful ones, they don't travel a lot. Um, they go to Denmark. They don't go to Sweden, I think. Because uh, the Danes Copenhagen are like merchants. More... They market themselves yeah. much better than the Swedes. But I, 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 I'm very European. So like I had traveled a lot to Russia, to Poland, to like, so I, I had Germany. So I had an understanding mm. we like a potatoes. little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same diet. <laughs> the herring, the potatoes. Meat. Exactly. Um, but I loved Copenhagen. I mm. remember it was, I think I was sometimes looking back at life, like I'm very driven, but I've also been a benefit of great timing. And when I was in Denmark, it was 2004, 2005. And that was like when my generation, like people were just talking about being sustainable and green and mm. like biking everywhere instead of, a, and I got to this city where like there was a bike rush hour. You know, I used to mm. call my friends and say, you wouldn't believe all these Danes, they bike everywhere, you know, and there was a, really interesting dialogue around the European Union at that time. And I remember being really impressed by how they talked about, like, the values and being egalitarian. And, like, believe it or not, I mean, this is this was very new in America. You know, we're just starting to talk in that way about work and business culture. And definitely was so eye-opening. I had a few teachers, professors that were women. It was like they all had three kids and, and they all worked full-time. And mm. that is also very new in America. Um, we don't have daycare. We don't have maternity leave. So there are less of those types of role models. Um, and if they're out there, they struggle much more, like my own mother, who really was never home. Mm. Um, and so I loved Copenhagen, and I actually thought I would live there. I always thought I would work and live in Europe somehow, London, Denmark. The, the winters really killed me, though. When it started <laughs> raining in Denmark, like everyone. in October, it never yeah. stopped. <laughs> so by December, we it's were better all... Than Sweden, yeah, it is. But, like, the American students were so depressed. I remember mm. thinking, like, I cannot wait to get home. I think I finished yeah. my exams early. So that was hard. But when I got to Sweden, I think I kind of expected it to be similar. And it was much more beautiful. Like, I, I love... Obviously, you know I love Stockholm. But I, I do think I found the reserved nature of the people. Like, not reserved, but the whole yante law. Like, mm -hmm. not standing at... The, Danes are not that way mm -hmm. at all. No, they're, they're very open. They're very yeah. confrontational, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, they would say to you... I remember being part of discussions uh, about Turkey entering the EU, and they would say, like, we don't agree with that. We think they shouldn't be... We don't like that their religion is so far... They were very open with their opinions. Mm -hmm. And Swedes are not. No. And then, you know, that was the hardest thing because I'm very open generally as a person. So I, I, I wasn't ever sure, like, okay, do people like me or hate me? Do they think I'm crazy <laughs> or not? You know, and then you're in this embassy experience where people are kind of telling you what you want to hear anyway, too. Mm -hmm. So it took me like a year to come out of this cloud. Mm -hmm. But I will say I actually did not have a, I, I met so many amazing people really quickly. And I think... The thing is with Swedes, if you're open with them, they embrace that and they love that and they're open they're with like, you. They're like, you're open? They're kind of That's surprised. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is shocking. I will say, we, I will say, like, we started this conversation with who am I? Mm -hmm. You know, what's my... Mm -hmm. And that was always the funny thing because I could tell Swedish people they really wanted to classify me somehow. Like, mm -hmm. okay, but what are you? Mm -hmm. Are you an ambassador's wife? Mm -hmm. Are you a journalist? Mm -hmm. Are you a... Mo um, what are you? And I would say, oh, yeah, all of that. And I could see how <laughs> they were confused by this in a little mm -hmm. bit. So I think that was the funny thing but definitely the the not standing out and mm. i had that experience really alive because i was raising a child in sweden so my mm. daughter is swedish you know she yeah. spoke swedish she went to swedish doggies mm. she was kind of raised with swedish ways yeah. and like um i've said this story so many times to my friends but 
I remember telling her, like, not even on purpose, but mm-hmm. I would say, you have your Santa Lucia coming up, mm-hmm. you know. You have to be the best. Mm-hmm. And, and it, just because my parents were, it was like, just came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she'd be like, oh. And then she had her dance class, and I'd say, you were the best, or I want you to be the best. <laughs> I was like saying these things to her, and it took her about a year. She was like four, and then finally when she was five, she, she finally confronted me and said, I've been thinking about what you said and I asked my nanny and I asked my friend's parents and I asked my teacher and I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and she said, you know, in Sweden, you're not supposed to be the best. It's very bad to think of yourself as the best. Like, mom, you're a bit mean to be telling me that kind of thing. And what about the people that are second best? And I had this kind of the clouds opened moment when yeah. I realized that is the huge separation between Swedes and Americans or Swedes and the rest of the world in some way. Mm. It's this, and it's a good thing. It's great to be humble. But I also think it was really hard, I think, for a lot of Swedish women. Because yeah. as a woman, you're supposed to be polite and not stand mm-hmm. out too much in every culture. Mm-hmm. And then as a Swede, you're also not. So they had, mm-hmm. like, a, it's a lot of pressure on women in this country, actually. For all the great things you have, like daycare and everything, there's a lot of pressure to be perfect and a lot of pressure to not kind of be too ambitious. Mm. And so I found at that moment that this is what I'm going to like. This is my cause. You know, I want to liberate these people a little bit. And I mean, you really did. (laughs) You really, I mean, and this is one thing that I've been really impressed by you, that you come here and and you not only, I mean, you were really integrated in in Swedish society. You became a part of it and actually started to influencing people. I think that I don't know how that happened. You know, <laughs> because that was going to be my next question. How did you do it? But maybe it just came natural to you. I think I am so, you know, my we laugh with my team. I don't do anything like my mother who would stay in these neighborhoods mm-hmm. till like 11 p.m. even with a 4-year-old child wanting to go home. I don't do anything halfway. So mm-hmm. I said, I'm coming to come here and I'm going to go 1000%. And maybe I was young and I didn't see these boundaries mm-hmm. the same way. Um I think when you're, and I have this discussion with my husband a lot because he was raised in a different atmosphere. Like when he was young, his father was already quite famous and he was working in the White House. So for him, it was always like um, he had a lot to lose if he stood up too much. Ah, okay. But for me, I never had anything to lose. If I raised my voice, I wouldn't lose anything. I could only gain because I didn't have much, like in terms of a network or resources So I've never been afraid, actually, to speak up. My mother is very outspoken. My grandmother is very outspoken. I was really raised in a way of very strong women, kind of Mm -hmm. like, and (laughs) kind of men that had to deal with them. (laughs) And so I've kind of replicated that in my own life. And I, I, I hear this a lot now, and it does come naturally to me, but many top women and men Mm -hmm. say like, you, you usually never regret speaking Mm -hmm. up. You always regret that time, Mm. like, I wish I said this, or I wish Mm. I had supported or protected this person. So I kind of use that as my mantra, and it becomes easier. Mm. Mm. Like, uh, Ariana Huffington has this, you know, I love her, and Mm. and she's a mentor of mine. She has this quote, she's like, fearlessness is like a muscle. The more you do it, the more you say yes, the more you put, it's kind of, that's true. Now I'm used yeah. to that. Now I think I'm way out there. Like mm-hmm. I talk to my team and I say, can you help me kind of like calm down a bit? Maybe I say too much or like, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's quite liberating where you get to a point where you actually also really don't don't care. I mean, I really don't care that much if I say, I would never want to hurt someone. But if mm-hmm. I make a fool of myself, if I say something wrong, it doesn't bother me. And mm-hmm. I, I'm 
supported by colleagues and bosses and Daniel and Ash and like people that really also empower me to do mm. that and I'm not scared to fail. So mm. I think that's also really important mm. um, as you choose your mate and your work mm. to be in a place where you feel safe that way. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. So in the podcast, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship. <clears throat> and during the last decade, we've seen many success stories come out of the Nordic mm. region, which is fantastic. And you, we could call them unicorns. Yeah. Have you, but, um, but what's great is that they challenge most commonly US-based tech Absolutely. giants, right? Um, and so I wanted to ask you, so why do you think that Nordic startups are becoming so successful? What is the secret sauce? I mean, I, great question. And I think so many people are asking that. Um, but I think it is a combination of a few things. It's, it, it is the values. Um, and I think it's something that for all in America, we're especially driven by this, like my story of, you know, not being poor and like parents pushing you and f having to fend for yourself. That's, that's very much, that is the American dream. Like we're a country of people that are super competitive and it's like survival and, and that's a certain kind of drive. But I think there's also a certain kind of drive that comes from being safe. Um, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm quoting Daniel Ek, who's always saying this. He's like, you know, Swedish people, they start companies because they can. Mm. Um, you have, you're not going to end up living in your car because you That's lose true. everything. Mm. Um, like, like many American stories mm. are. Or you're not going to use all of your parents' pension. Mm. Um, or you're not going to not have health care. Like, there's so many people, you know, when I told my mom when I was young that I wanted to work for myself and start my own company, she'd be like, are you freaking crazy? You're not going to have any health care. Like, <laughs> that was always in her mm. mind. And, and I understand that because she had, her health care took care of, like, our whole family. But we never had this social safety net. So people fight like crazy. Here, it's for a different reason. And I think it's probably more sustainable to be mm. able to feel like, okay, I can try and fail and that's okay. And I can try and fail again and I won't ruin my life with that. Mm. And um, I think that's really important. I, I do think like the 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 entitlements or what's the word, the social safety around women, like mm. having maternity. This is a society that really uses its entire talent base because you provide both men and women with the tools they need to succeed. Mm. Um, and that's so important. Like I think in America, we probably use 40 percent of our talent base here. I think you really, really maximize it. You have all these unicorns and it's not even like it's just Swedish people. Like in America, we have the world's talent coming, India, China to Silicon mm. Valley. Like we're really benefiting from the mm. world's talent. Yours is, you know, it's mainly still, it's changing mm. now. Mm. Um, you have people like Sebastian Szymatowski, who's first generation. He, he's Polish also mm. like I am, mm. or, you know, the guys from True Caller. But um, generally it's still been that. So I think that's so fascinating how that works. And I think the third thing is around like this egalitarianism, like, I remember going to Spotify very early on, like as part of the embassy, like six years ago, mm. when it was, still was kind of growing. And and I was getting a tour by Martin Lawrence and, and, mm -hmm. and um, Martin like ran off to go to the bathroom or something. I was standing there alone and someone came up to me and said, um, you know, we really love working here. And, and as an American, you may not know this, but the thing that's really special about Spotify is none of us are afraid to go up to Martin or Daniel or any of like our bosses and say, this is wrong mm. or this product is bad. Mm. Like we don't have this American hierarchy. Mm. And I had never actually like realized that we don't have those kinds of work structures, that, even though we pretend to like mm. 
it's still pretty hierarchical and it's so flat here. And I think as the ecosystem has grown also, people are not afraid to approach a Daniel or a Nicholas Zenstrom mm. or a they, they really are not because but they think, also carry themselves with more humility. Like it's a it's accessible. Yeah. So you have this like natural, not mentorship, but natural kind of like advisors and fearlessness. Yeah. I think that I think you touch on something here. I've worked in, in American companies for like 15 years. And one thing I noticed was that when the Swedes came into the American organization, we were, you know, we were, our career yeah. went skyrocket because we we didn't understand you weren't <laughs> supposed to tell the boss that, you know. Exactly. And um, from running a large organization, uh, you know that you need to get input from your employees, mm. otherwise you can't lead them. Uh, so that uh, really... That's where, you know, consent, it's like the consensus, the collaborative... Yeah. And I also think, like, generally you do trust each other more than we trust each other. Yeah. Like, um, I read somewhere two things. Like, one was that, for example, Sweden is so progressive on environmental law mm -hmm. because generally the Swedish people trust that their government is passing laws that is mm -hmm. good for them. Mm -hmm. So they work together that way. And, and same kind of in the workplace where, you know, it's not easy to get fired here. So mm -hmm. when you bring someone on, you really invest in them. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know mm -hmm. you're going to be together for a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you better make these relationships work mm -hmm. and you better make decisions together. And, like, consensus does, it does take longer sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I do think it ends up in a better way. And all of these things are the recipes of creativity. So mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. again, not to tie it constantly back to, to brilliant minds, but that's what we're really trying to do. We're mm -hmm. trying to highlight Sweden, of course, and the Nordics, but we're trying to show a new way of innovation, mm -hmm. that it can be done in a long-term way. You know, Swedes are very long-term investors, mm -hmm. you know you think of these business in a totally different way. Mm. Um, and we want to challenge the American system or the Western, you know, w with these new ideas. And so we're trying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. And uh, uh, when it comes to, to uh, female entrepreneurs, I know that you once said that uh, I think it's 32% mm -hmm. of the female entrepreneurs believe they're going to make it, whereas exactly. like 80% of the men... <laughs> Men really oh. believe that they're going to be like the next Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> How do we change that? Or do we need to change this? Will this some make the female... Some people say that that's good. Like I've spoken yeah. to some women, but but I think, I actually think that with this younger generation, mm -hmm. um, it's already done. It's okay. already changed. It's already changed. When you speak to like, I mean, it's like the Zara Larshan effect. You yeah, know? yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the women awesome. under 20, they are yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, They're yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah. we own the world. We run yeah. the world. And so I think the only thing is like um, women just need to, because it is important when you're pitching, when mm -hmm. you're trying to get investors, you really have to be confident in your ideas. You and have I to think believe in your Men idea. are just a yeah. bit more confident yeah. in themselves yeah. because they've been raised to be, you know? Yeah. So we have to pick up a little bit. And like, I think that's why it's so good that we do, we do these podcasts and we interview each other because ultimately it really is like, it's, it sounds so simplistic, but if you see someone else doing it, you think, Hey, I can yeah. do it too. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but I wonder the 70% that doesn't really believe they're going to take off how are they managing going to work every day? I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Crippled with self-doubt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I feel that, like, you know, I think I hear that voice in my head, too. You know, you're mm. never good enough. You're never... Mm. And in a way, it really drives me. Like, I always think I can improve. Mm. But I also, you have to kind of, like, and a lot of top women, just you don't listen to it. Mm. It's always mm. going to be there because mm. I think 
some of us, are, you know, and, and, and it's I love that in Sweden, too. But like some of us have been raised in ways where, you know, you talk to boys a certain way and you talk to mm-hmm. girls a certain way mm-hmm. in school, in the mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. And that's never going to leave your mind. Mm-hmm. So I try to train myself mm-hmm. to not mm-hmm. listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not worried. I think that younger women are really fantastic. And it's not about it's about both. Like, I think you need I love working with guys. Yeah, um, I, I think it's like that with balance. Guys, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> I almost doesn't know that opposite. So it's it's it's, but they do like I think men mm. need to be trained because we we communicate differently, we think mm. differently, mm. we we look at ideas differently, and that's the source of creativity. But definitely. we do need to kind of understand each other yeah. sometimes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, when it comes to the younger generation, uh, uh, my daughters, one of them, uh, she's going to start a unicorn uh, a business, <laughs> you know, that's her. And, and the other I wonder one, where she hears that from. Know. And the other one, she's going to be a YouTube star and a billionaire. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of. And that will probably be, yeah, my daughter wants to be a pop star as yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh Those are our questions, Natalia. So uh, thank you very See, it's much. It's very easy because I talk a lot. Yeah, so. <laughs> you do no our job. Worries. Yeah, <laughs> work really well. So I just want to say a big thank you to um, for taking the time to meet with us today. And um, you're such an inspiring person. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you guys for doing for, this because also, it's so important. Yes, and thank you for doing the things for Sweden and uh, entrepreneurs in Stockholm. I think you're doing an amazing job. You're never going to get rid of me. No, so I know. And that's what me. <laughs> that makes us so happy. Thank really you, glad guys. To have thank you, you, Tuva. Mm-hmm. Cool.